LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for his glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. And welcome to another episode of EST. My name is Josh King, and this is the podcast for the established church by established church leaders. I am joined, as always, by my good friends Micah and Sam, both established church pastors, as I am. Um, Micah, Sam, how are you guys doing today? Good, man. Uh, I'm, before we, I'm we watching have... all the snowstorms up north, and <laughs> I, I don't even know what to think about it. He's hanging out in Bradenton, Florida, just sort of feeling sad for everybody up north. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't need your pity. Um, hey, so. we did. We did have the full moon blood wolf thing going on last night did you guys watch oh, yes. that did you oh. break out here's what i want to know sam did you break out your charts did you have any charts on a platform at the church I, yesterday i did Talking get on an email prophetic I did get on an email string i was on an email yes. string going back and forth with all the people that were excited about it um lots of I, pastors listening to this podcast were joined by similar email strings yeah there was the there was an eschatological significance to what happened last night <laughs> very I don't little know what that significance <laughs> was but i had a great time watching it time occur. marches on that's the significance i um uh, before we have a special guest on the show, he's actually listening to us kind of chat with one another, and I'm going to let Micah introduce you guys. I do want to say that I am not sick. I have uh, I just started preaching three services and did a new members class last night, so I have that super sexy voice. So you're going just on. tired. Yeah, that's what you are. Yep. Yeah. So we do have a guest with us today. Dr. Christopher Yuan has, is, is our guest, and we're really excited to have him here. Uh, Dr. Yuan has has been teaching the Bible at Moody. Bible Institute, co-authored a number of books. He's got a brand new book called uh, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story. And that's why we're excited to have him on today. We're just going to have a conversation like we normally do, but talk through issues of sexuality and how it relates to the established church, particularly how do you think through people who have sort of broader views of sexuality than maybe scripture does? How do you help those who are struggling with attraction, maybe sex, same-sex attraction and the like? And so, uh, Christopher, we're really excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's going to be a fun conversation. I do think uh, when we think about the established church, and you know, we, we like to say that any church that's been around more than a couple of years is, is truthfully an established church and, uh, and, and begins to deal with the established church issues. Any church that's in that environment is going to find themselves having to ask, answer questions about sexuality. And uh, sometimes those sexuality questions can be very difficult. I know we have an interesting story here at Brainerd, the church I pastor. Uh, Robbie Gallaty was the pastor before me, uh, before Robbie went to Nashville and uh, preached a sermon on, you know, um, sexuality and, and dealt with same-sex attraction, homosexuality. And, and in doing some of the, you know, preaching the sermon, referenced some Old Testament passages and sort of... Uh, then in no way was sort of affirming, um, you know, sort of um, violent behavior towards those who affirm same-sex attraction or that sort of thing. He was just going back and reciting sort of what had been believed in, in, in under the Old Testament law and then was trying to show how we posture ourselves with grace and, and, and redemptive activity toward those who are in that community. But uh, there was some 
pretty strong pro-LGBT folks who took that sermon, cut and spliced it together, and then posted mm-hmm. on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And we now it resurfaces every 10 months, and we, we get death threats. We get... Um, we actually had to have security here at the church for a while. It, it's such a, 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 a violently passionate topic, right? Yeah. And I don't know that the church is equipped to speak truth and grace and all of this sort of stuff together. And so really as we begin, Christopher, I'd love to hear you just sort of begin to frame this out from your perspective. Maybe share just a little bit of your own personal story and then help us think through as leaders in the church how we begin going about engaging those who at times we may have strong disagreements with, but but we want to do so in grace. We want to walk through in truth. How does that begin to frame out? Yeah, you know, you know, hearing the story uh, that happened at at your church, Honestly, I, I, I really resonate with maybe the people that would be out there uh, in front of your, your church doors protesting. Um, right. I mean, I was there, really. Um, so I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and um, I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. I came out in my early 20s, which is uh, probably later than, than what most people do today. Um, came out to my parents, and uh, just amazingly in God's just sovereign grace, uh, use that crisis to bring my mother faith first, and then my father. Uh, and, and you know the interesting. Here's an interesting story. Um, it, we hear the narrative uh, right right now, especially today, that Christian parents reject gay children, and only non-Christian parents are able to love their children. But let me tell you, I had the exact opposite response. I um, my parents rejected me before they became Christian, and it wasn't until after I became, uh, after they became a Christian, that they actually realized that they could do nothing other than to love their gay son, just as God loved them while they were sinners, while they were powerless, while they were his enemies. Um, so it's just, just a totally different, you know, just how the gospel really transforms not only like a person like me, but even my parents. So they, they became believers and um, began pursuing me. I wanted nothing to do with them, of course, though. And um, I was living in Louisville, Kentucky, pursuing my doctorate in dentistry. And so I moved from Chicago to Louisville, uh, Chicago where I'm from. And it was in I came out of the closet I began living openly as a gay man I unfortunately got involved in drugs now not all gays and lesbians and this is this is important not all gays and lesbians do drugs or are all promiscuous some are some are not um, and but unfortunately that is part of my story I was eventually expelled from dental school moved to Atlanta Georgia and I became a supplier uh, a drug supplier uh, and my parents really had no idea how the depth of how much I was into the, you know, illegal activity, drug dealing, but they knew that my biggest need was not simply to stop, <clears throat> you know, running from God or running from my parents and running from, uh, you know, or, or even being in a same-sex relationship. But they knew my biggest problem was that I was running from God. That I, uh, my biggest need was to surrender to Christ. So they prayed for that. Um, uh, my mom fasted actually every Monday for seven years and um, she prayed for a miracle and that miracle came with my arrest I found myself in jail um, found a Bible in the trash can began reading it and um, I was really challenged not not simply with the passages in scripture that condemn same-sex relationships just it it wasn't just simply an ethical issue it was an ontological issue and, and and I think as Christians we miss that. I, I believe that that's where we need to start. 
is identity who we are is sexuality truly who we are because let me tell you the the world believes that um, but we look to God's truth and we find a completely different narrative and it's important for us to to first get there so anyway God God began you know, turn, turn my darkened mind and enlightening with, with by the Holy Spirit and realizing that this is not who I was um, also uh, realize this ideal that we sometimes lift up as a heterosexuality uh, in the church is is not accurate enough and um, I, I realized that God was calling us to holiness hence the name of my book holy sexuality in the gospel um, I I actually felt was called to ministry while in prison um, and because I never got my bachelor's before getting my going entering the dental uh, dental school for my doctorate I had to go back get my bachelor's so I went to Moody um, the funny thing is I applied to Moody while I was in prison I actually did get accepted and um, I got out <laughs> of the prison July 2001 and I started the very me- next month and uh, at Moody <laughs> so wow. I was I had some quite interesting conversations with my um, conservative Christian roommates and, and, and classmates on my floor, uh, you know, as I told them my story, you know, they've never <laughs> met anyone who was even in trouble with the law. And there I was right out of prison. And it was just amazing what, what God has done. And, and, uh, yeah, I went to get my master's in exegesis at Wheaton and, um, eventually did get a doctorate of ministry. And so my first book I, I co-authored with my mother. Uh, so it was simply our memoir. And it was there that I introduced this concept of polysexuality and kind of knew I needed to flesh it out uh, for others to understand. Yeah, so that's helpful, Christopher. I think your story is incredibly helpful for pastors. I know I'm curious to hear, Sam and Josh, what you think about this. One of the things that I worry about in the established church, particularly in the conservative established church, that takes um, a a traditional or conservative view of um, sexuality, that one one of the problems is that we see very little relationship with people who actually ever struggle with questions of uh, mm-hmm. sexual identity or, or sexual expression in any sort of way. There, there seems to be, in terms of sexuality, just this very monolithic experience in many conservative churches. And so it's not a safe place to often even have conversations or for people who are struggling with those things. I, I'm curious, Sam, maybe from your perspective and then Josh, if that's been similar in your experience. Yeah, I mean, it's driven partly by geography, you know, where you pastor, um, the kind of church you pastor. I mean, so a, a typical Rainer answer, it depends. Um, you, know, it's, you know, I've been dealing with, now pa- this is my second time pastoring in Florida, in southwest Florida. It's, it's something that, you know, I dealt with 10 years ago um, in terms of transgender people and, and all of that. And, and I will admit, I, I, you know, I am not as skilled in this area as I could be. Um, but I do know that if you think that it is um, this uh, idea of this people's struggles with sexuality, if, if you think that it's not going to come to your church, you're, you're a fool. Um, you know, we already have students in our uh, ministry here at West Bradenton that struggle with transgender um, identity and, and all of that, so, and certainly sexuality as well. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's here, um, and it, it's, it's in the established church. You're, you're not a... Uh, you know, your the walls of your church are, are not gonna, um, th- you know, th- th- it's not like they're gonna keep this from coming into the church. It's it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you do need to be prepared. You do need to be ready to minister. Um, and it is it is a, it is a more difficult issue, um, but it is one that we're we're trying to work through with grace here. You know, without compromising truth. Um, 
so I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear what Christopher has to say about, about all of this. I mean, what would you say to a pastor like me who, um, lives in an area where, you know, it's not like widely accepted, but people just kind of just say, okay, this is the way that it is. And, you know, how do, how do you, how do you deal with that in a culture like ours, where you are a more conservative established church that would say that, you know, marriage is for one man, one woman. Um, what does that look like in a church like ours? Yeah, you know, honestly, I, there's several reasons why I wrote this book, not only, you know, to flesh out this concept, but uh, I saw a couple things missing. Um, and, I, you know, you know, you, you all have are familiar with writing and, and, and putting books out. So you, what, what the last thing you want to do is to produce a book that, you know, kind of repeating what other people have already done uh, well or, um, you know, have things that people have done in the past. So I did not want to do that. Um, and, and one of the things that I saw missing, especially in books uh, maybe more than five years ago or, or more, is it, it had... It did not include um, the local church. Actually, it really felt like the local church was an afterthought at best. Um, and what you see is, honestly, the incorrect diagnosis. And we, I think, as evangelical Christians, have diagnosed this incorrectly in that we saw this more as a, as a developmental issue, uh, like as a psychological disorder. And if so... Well, then maybe uh, like a support group or a, a need for a pastor to then refer out. I've, I've, I kind of see that almost as uh, the first and almost only response is to refer them out to, um, to a professional who mm -hmm. can handle this. But let me tell you, that's then diagnosing this incorrectly. Scripture is very clear, like you say, um, that... Uh, marriage, uh, sex, and sexual intimacy is reserved for man and wife, husband and wife in marriage. So therefore, uh, same-sex sexual behavior is sin. And if sin is what it is, then we need to recognize and we need to diagnose this correctly and say, if sin is the problem, then it's our sin nature, original sin, the doctrine of sin um, is the, the, the true culprit, the true problem. And if sin is the problem, then Christ is the answer, but not just simply Christ, because, you know, we, people sometimes accuse me, say, well, you make it so simplistic. It isn't. Uh, but any other thing other than that makes uh, a, um, a truly spiritual problem when we try to find an anthropocentric solution. So it's essentially works righteousness. Um, but knowing that Christ is the answer, then that also means that the body of Christ has to be the context in which we find the solution. So thus, what I tell pastors now, especially when I speak to pastors, uh, either at conferences or even when I speak locally at a local church and I speak to the pastoral staff, mm -hmm. I tell this is this is one lie that I think oftentimes people believe, or pastors specifically believe. Uh, they have maybe a young man that comes in, confides with uh, the pastor, and rightfully so, the pastor who has never experienced sex attractions feels very ill-equipped. And he's like, I don't know. I, I don't know how to help them. I've never experienced same sex attractions. So I don't know what to do. So therefore, kind of, it seems logical. So therefore, let me find someone who does. And they go to maybe a parachurch organization, etc., And uh, then refer them out and say, okay, good. Then, then I'll hand them off to you and you help them. But here's the problem. 
I don't know of any other sin issue where we need to know everything about that particular sin issue and even struggle with that same sin issue to help that other individual. For example, um, and, and, and I'll pose this question to the pastors listening. Um, if you have a heroin addict that comes to your church, do you have to shoot up with heroin to help that heroin addict? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> uh, or for example, if you have a young man or even a young lady coming in with um, a pornography addiction, do we have to actually have a pornography do we, or even look at pornography to help another porn addict? Mm -hmm. um, do we have to commit adultery to help an adulterer? And I would say the answer to all those questions is no. Right. What we do need is to ourselves be redeemed and restored, recognize that we are sinners, and have uh, have had some victory. <laughs> of course, I mean we're not completely victorious on this side of, um, you know, we are definitely victorious in that we're set free from sin, even though we will daily struggle with indwelling sin and need to resist temptations daily. But if we've had victory over sin we can help any other sinner with whatever sin that they're wrestling with. So right. let me, so this is really interesting to me, Christopher, and this is helpful. Mm -hmm. I think your argument that you just made there, I've actually never heard anyone make that argument before. And I think it really resonates uh, and maybe betrays the reality that pastors, one, they've never, ex you know, some of them have never experienced same-sex attraction and so they feel ill-equipped to deal with it. But two, that maybe that that's almost... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to use the word excuse, but just mm. gives them an easy out from having to actually deal with it. Let me just refer you out. So if, if that's the case, if you're right, and I think you are, you don't have to be you know, a heroin user to be able to help someone who's struggling with heroin. You don't have to uh, be a porn addict to struggle, you know, help someone who's struggling with porn. What would you say to a pastor? If a pastor has someone walk into their office and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction, walk us through what that would look like as we help that person in such a way that values them as a, as a person created in the image of God and, and help, helps push them toward holiness. Yes, and, and, and I'm so glad that, that you brought that up, uh, you know, the image of God. So what I also saw lacking, not only was um, the local church completely left out, and, and that's why I actually have a whole chapter in my book, and I called it Spiritual Family, because um, we have, especially the millennial generation, you know, they think, I don't need the local church, I don't need the church. Um, and, you know, here, here's an excuse that I often hear. Um, uh, it, me and my friends, we, we, we are, you know, uh, the church isn't a building, right? Okay, that's true. Uh, so therefore, me and my friends, we, we are the church. And, and, and I make this point in my book. I said, no, uh, you and your friends, you aren't the body of Christ. You are members of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. The only thing that is the body, the body of Christ is the church, the local church. Um, as a repre representation of that, um, actually, you and your friends, you could be just a bunch of hands, <laughs> you know, or, right. or just a bunch of That's eyes. Um, yeah. And so there isn't that diversity, and more importantly, there isn't that headship. Um, you don't preach to each other every Sunday. You don't, um, there's no accountability. I mean, th there may be accountability, but uh, there isn't any true discipleship. There's no headship. There's no spiritual, there's no shepherding. Uh, so it's important for that we need to realize that, because I don't see the answer to be, essentially just a, like a covenant best friend or spiritual friendship, but I see the answer as being a spiritual family. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, what I would do, you know, if a pastor and, and, and helping a pastor walk along, when they come in, I mean, simply be a good listener. Tell me more um, and, and recognize first, and this is where I think uh, uh, the other aspect that I thought um, I saw kind of missing and lacking 
uh, was, uh, even though we have a lot of books that, that kind of address sexuality from the ethical perspective, so going over the different biblical texts, and those are great and, and really good. Um, <clears throat> and then we have some books that kind of get in the praxis. Um, how do we love well, show compassion, you know, maybe even you know, how do we be a friend? But I think that these books sometimes try to jump into um, practical action points without the really important next step of establishing a foundation of in biblical and systematic theology and I know that that sounds scary when I speak to congregations but as pastors we know the importance of the you know we're all theologians um, and if we basically if we base Christian living simply on ethics what's right and what's wrong and you know six passages which are important um, that we won't really have a full understanding of how to respond well <clears throat> because I think people want to jump into doing right before they think right and if they do I think they're they could end up be doing wrong so I think starting with kind of that that, that foundation which then means uh, you know like you mentioned before that we start that we are all created in the image of God Genesis 1 but then it doesn't end there it, you know Genesis 3 happened unfortunately so Adam uh, fell and as a result of that um, not just all creation, but more importantly, all humanity was thrown into disarray. Um, that means that we are wrestling with uh, the guilt of Adam's sin, uh, but also that we now are, we're, aren't, we aren't the way that we ought to be. So we, we live with the reality of a sin nature, and that sin nature then expresses itself in different maybe forms of sin. For example, mm -hmm. a pornography, uh, or gossiping, um, or same-sex attractions and, and, and you know, the t temptation to, to have a same-sex relationship. So I think as a pastor, we need to remind each other um, or remind the individual coming in that they're created in the image of God because a lot of times these individuals that are wrestling with same-sex attractions, they're struggling with so much guilt. Like you say, um, we, we are in uh, conservative, established churches, and, and, and these are the pastors that are listening that... Um, they hold a high view of scripture, uh, they hold to biblical sexuality, but unfortunately for the, you know, in the past, we have unfortunately treated this one sin issue somehow different from Definitely. others. Right. And so there's a, a great stigma in the church. We can share about pornography, we can share about an eating disorder, we can, sh you know, whatever it is. But when it comes to this, we believe that there will be, you know, huge... You know, we might be kicked out of the church simply for having same-sex attractions. Right. Uh, our parents may reject. You know, the list goes on. So um, people Doctor, Dr. Yuan, I'm curious about some of the, like, you know, because of our setting and being close to a university and things like that. But before we get into that, I, w I would like a few questions, particularly about one issue that I, that I kind of am challenged with as a pastor. Um, but like I said, before we get into that, Sam, you got to tell us about the Lifeway Leadership uh, March that's happening in Orange County, correct? Yeah, this is this is definitely exciting. So our leaders, our, our listeners need to need to hear this. Um, yeah, this March in Orange County, uh, California, Lifeway Leadership is hosting a much-needed church leadership event that's all about leading change. So if you know that you need to lead change, but you're not quite sure where to start, and that's a lot of us, then this event is for you. And this is a little different than other leadership conferences. You'll spend most of your time in a group of less than 50 other leaders discovering how to implement change in your church. 
and to make sure that every church leader leaves with a personalized plan for change, they are capping this event at 300 people. So it's mm. very limited, very exclusive. You need to go. So if you need, if you know you need to lead change, but you're not not sure where to start, make sure you register for the Blueprint Coaching in Orange County, California. That's on March 14th and 15th. You can go to lifeway.leadership.com slash events to learn more. Again, that's lifeway.leadership.com slash events. Go check it out. You'll enjoy the event. It's not too hard to sell a conference that's happening in Orange County. I, that sounds exactly. just wonderful. Exactly. So we should definitely go to that. Guys, I'm curious about this. And Micah and Sam, you guys could chime in this as, uh, as well as Dr. Yuan. So in my experience in being two different settings, and particularly now, I'm across the street from a 12,000 student college. And so a lot of college students are coming in. The majority of the same-sex attraction that comes up both culturally and just issues with, like, folks asking me, uh, you know, my my child, it's usually girls. It's young ladies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that has something to do with the culture of sexuality and, and um, all of those sort of things that are pushed onto women. And it's a whole nother level of why I'm just not equipped or I feel inadequate when I'm talking with this if – I don't really feel um, very, I, I guess not motivated, but like feel very overwhelmed if there's this implication that I'm going to sit down with a 14-year-old girl and talk to her about sexuality. That just seems like something I just don't know how to wrestle with. And I would say 99% of the time when it's an issue of same-sex sexuality, um, you know, I, I've got to deal with, um, you know, it's a young lady. So... Is there anything along the lines of how do we, because, you know, I come from a culture in Dallas where it makes the news when a large church, you know, puts, puts out on their marquee, gay is not okay. And so I feel like a lot of times when we go into this topic, you know, we're, we're, we're shot at if we do, we're shot at if we don't. You know, it's just don't know how to start. Would you start with something like, what, what would you say, Dr. Wan? Would it be a series? Would it be a book study? Would it just be conversations? What's the way an established church can start getting into this conversation? Just like one or two brief um, beginnings. Yeah, I think um, we need to talk about just sexuality in general. So not, you know, not even just focusing on uh, same-sex attractions yet. I mean, if, if it hasn't been talked about at all, then we mm-hmm. need to just talk about sexuality in general. God's, God's good design for marriage, why marriage, and why is it uh, man and woman? I mean, you know, and, and and point to the beauty of that, and also the misunderstandings. Like I I, I make a point, and it's kind of a controversial point, and I know I'm going to get pushback from people, but I say I think we're often at risk of idolizing in the established church marriage. We idolize marriage, and 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 here is what I believe that I think one of the most deceptive forms of idolatry is when we worship something good. Marriage like the is family good. or yes, marriage. I mean, yeah. it's very good, and yet we see two things: mm-hmm. marriage is not eternal. It's it's a here and now. At least marriage between man and woman is a here and now establishment for uh, for us before this side of glory. But it points to the mystery, as Paul says in Ephesians five to Christ being wed to the church. That's the perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, then family. Yes, I mean, in a sense, we do ha- elevate that, but as we look in the Old Testament, there's been so much emphasis upon family. Then in the New Testament, there's a shift where Jesus makes comments like, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my right. sister? So and would you do those in, in sermon series or books? How would you start would. the actual I mean, conversation? I would do, you know, 
all the options that you said, let's let's get as much engagement as we can. Why? Right. The world is. Mm -hmm. And the world is talking about sex and sexuality on more than just a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And our the kids on the the college campus right across the street from you, you know, they they are uh, you know, not just being talked about, it's being bombarded intentionally. They're inundated with resources from their cl in their classes, their professors, from media, in the music. And so we have to counter it to provide, and not simply it's bad, it's don't do it, that this is the beautiful gift that God has given us that's reserved for marriage between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. And so talk about that. But also, when you talk about marriage, do that. At the same time, talk about singleness. I, I really see that lacking in the established church where we yeah, don't talk about a biblical theology of singleness. So, with, you know, it, it's surprising in my book. On, on sexuality, you know, people, especially, they, they think, oh, I'm picking this up for my gay son. I have two chapters on a theology of marriage and two chapters on a biblical theology of singleness very intentionally because I think if we, we can't even articulate why sex between a man and a woman and why male and female in marriage and what's the purpose of that, and then we can't mm -hmm. even stop, say that singleness is good and yet we're calling some individuals who have same-sex attractions to be single for a period and not necessarily lifelong maybe I mean God right. is able to do miracles I'm single and I'm open to getting married to a woman one day but that's not my main focus but we <laughs> have to you know have a, a thriving place for young adults who are single uh, to be in right. the local church right and I noticed on your book here you do have a eight-week um, sort of uh, Bible study that goes Bible sessions yes. group that goes along with it. So I think that's a fascinating way um, to um, kind of in, include this study into your in your church and your established church. Doctor Yuan, we are right at the end of our time. What is a way that people can connect with you? Uh, either social media or your website. What is yeah, that? Yeah, all of the above. Uh, my okay. website is just ChristopherYuan.com. Okay. Um, I'm on Twitter, Christopher Yuan, Facebook. Uh, just and that Yuan is Y U A N. That's y right. Christopher Yuan. spelled. That's like you're supposed to. Yeah. So that's all interesting stuff there. Very good to have you on the show. We do appreciate you um, being on the show today with us, and I hope that we are providing some resources for our listeners to engage such an important conversation. And we are part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. We want to encourage you to listen to other podcasts that are on the network as well, including New Church's Q&A podcast, hosted each week by Daniel M., Todd Atkins, and Ed Stetzer. Great show. I love listening to it, and I'm sure you will as well. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening, and check us out on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. EST is proud to be a part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network.